BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. At Merrill West Credit Union, we're working towards a brighter financial future for both our members and our community, knowing that when you succeed, we all succeed. That starts with a solid financial foundation. As a credit union, we have no stockholders demanding profits. Our commitment is to our members. Experience the difference with our Money Market Max Bonus Promotion, offering a cash incentive for letting us protect and grow your money. Merrill West Credit Union, working for you. Today, tomorrow, together. Merrill West Credit Union is insured by NCUA. My name's Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bain. Welcome to Film Colossus, your guide to movies. Today, we're talking about a movie I've seen a ton of times. Really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Ooh, a lot. Such a tease, too. We haven't, we haven't said what the movie is yet. I know. That's, uh, that's is it part of... Fight Club? I'm trying to think of Chris. Is it Fight Club? It's not Fight Club. Is it The Lion King? <laughs> it is. I mean, I've seen Fight Club and The Lion King way more than this movie. Oh, okay. Is it Showgirls? No way. That would be if I said it. Um, I give true. up. Black Swan. Oh, good thing I watched that movie this week. I'm ah, ready to look talk at about that. It. The timing. <laughs> I, um, yeah, this was a movie. God, what year did this movie come out? I feel like it came out in 2010. That's yes. like, it is. Okay. Like yeah. in the regresses of my mind, I was like, this movie feels like it came out right in 2010. Um, right when I graduated from college and which was a, a, a year rich with me, like watching so many movies. Um, just coming out of college and like having a lot of time on my hand because I wasn't able to get a job <laughs> um, and watching a lot of movies. And yeah, Black Swan, that was a big one that year. You, you were going to the theater a lot? Um, Not really. I mean, I would definitely go to the theater. Um, my then girlfriend, now wife, I guess I can call her my ex-girlfriend at this point. Um, <laughs> she, we did go to a lot of movies and I, God, I don't remember if I... I don't remember the first time if I, I, I imagine I saw this in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I also watched a lot of movies like on my laptop and stuff. Oh yeah. Those were the days, right? The laptop oh, viewing yeah. experience. I mean, so I, 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 it honestly, like it makes me shiver thinking of all the 
great movies I watched on my laptop. Cause like I'm just racing the rewatch them on a on a big screen now because it's to do them justice. Right, 4K, nice TV. Yeah, if I can do it in 4K for sure. But yeah, at least like not on my laptop. <laughs> um, <laughs> had you had you watched? Like, were you familiar with Darren Aronofsky at that oh, point? Oh yeah, I. That was the thing I was gonna say. Um, is Darren Aronofsky? He's he's really beloved. Like he has a very strong following. Um, a lot of his movies are highly searched, as you as Chris and I know. Um, like Mother and like The Wrestler, Noah, Wrecking for a Dream. Like they're all like straightforward in quotes. Like they're just simple movies kind of on their face, but they have all these little touches and little nuances that kind of drive people wild. And they constantly search for like this movie explained. Um, and I remember early on, like there was this obsession with Pi, like his first movie. And I was I was desperate to watch Pi uh, in college, and luckily I had I went to the uh, Southern Illinois University of Carbondale, which I mean that school's whatever, but they had an intense movie selection in their library, so I could get like any movie I wanted. And I remember like Pi being one of those movies, like yeah, gotta see Pi. So early on, I was like way into Aronofsky. Okay, and Pi like hit for you. It was one where you're like, oh, this is good. I get what yeah. you're talking about it. Definitely. I think back then I, I really latched on to anything that was like experimental and outside of the norm. I was like railing against like blockbusters and, you know, like <laughs> oh, anything that times was, have changed. I know. Right. Well, now I just like everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but back then, definitely that kind of movie spoke to me. Nice. Uh, I, uh, I saw Pi after Black Swan. Mm hmm. Um, I think my first Aronofsky movie was The Fountain. Oh, The um, Fountain. Oh, yeah. I have a story about that one, too. Yeah, it was like college. I remember the trailers mm -hmm. coming out for it, and it was like right in my wheelhouse of wanting. <laughs> I, I, I spent a lot of middle school and high school reading fantasy and like not as much sci-fi, but like definitely some like sci-fi influence. So the fact that this movie was mixing like time periods and had some of this like conquistador like looking for like sword fights and magic like aspects to it i was just completely enamored from the trailer um especially with some of that imagery and remember going to the theater <laughs> like i was amazed that the theater in canton ohio had the fountain and i was like because <laughs> i, I feel like that came out because even though i was in college i feel like it came out at a time i was home it was like thanksgiving weekend or something sure um so i was just like one of like four people in the theater <laughs> watching <laughs> this movie being like oh my goodness like i it really like stood out and that was right around the time i was discovering like christopher nolan as well so there was something to like the prestige and the fountain yeah, and totally it, feeling like there was this new era of filmmaker that that time period yeah completely like you saying those two movies together like that's what movies were then <laughs> it's like what movie nerds were craving yeah right like that was the that was the not underground like i think we thought it was underground but right. it was like still mainstream enough to be like yeah nationally played but for sure like they were well known but it's not like nolan and aronofsky were the major players they are now where like they completely command attention you know at least back then 
it almost did it did kind of feel like they had a cult following yeah yeah also then black swan like i watched i like the fountain i don't think i love the fountain i think it's one that i agree to appreciate more over time Mm -hmm. but my like hype for it on initial viewing i was just like ah okay um but the wrestler i was like great really in love with um and then so for black swan it was something where i was like super super excited um, <laughs> when it came out i saw it in theaters i think i saw it in theaters three times oh nice like i saw it once by myself then went on a not date date to see it <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then i think i went like again with my mom and it was just like you should see this movie what a weird movie to see if your mom. I know, I know, but <laughs> I liked. She liked the red shoes. She always oh, like, tell me that red shoes was a movie I needed to watch. So oh, she asked me when I was telling her how good I thought this was. She's like, I should go see it. I mentioned the red shoes while watching it uh, with my wife this week because, I mean, the whole last act of the red shoes is just the play, and that's kind of what the black, black swan does. The black swan, black swan. <laughs> I still haven't seen Red Shoes. It's incredible. Um, on that one on 4K, and whoo, what a delicious, <laughs> what a what a treat for the eyes. Yeah. Uh, so, do you remember? Were you impressed with Black Swan? Was it something? Yeah. Or... I, I I do. I'm pretty sure at the time I saw it in theaters. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, but I, I like you. I I did watch it several times more um, early on. Like I think maybe I've seen this is. This week when I watched it was the fourth time I've watched it and maybe like the first time in 10 years. Um, But right when it came out, I remember watching it several times, probably because I just kept watching it with people, like making them watch it, you know. Um, And yeah, I remember at the time thinking it was immaculate. Like, I think I kind of had the same, held it in the same regard a lot of other people did. Like, yeah, the Academy... Obviously, it was nominated for Best Picture. Natalie Portman won, won Best Actress. Like, it was critically adored, but I'm thinking more of, like, the general crowd. Like, I remember back then I had a Rate Your Music account, and I would rate all of my movies on there. And there was – that was kind of, like, the the crowd that was into Black Swan. Like, true film lovers, like, understood this movie was, like, deeper and doing more than, like, what other movies were doing. And I was on that train. I was like, yeah, this movie's, you know, above and beyond. <laughs> right it's the one <laughs> what a oh yeah that's the year that king's speech won which is yeah like, <laughs> I mean, king's speech i enjoyed it but it was absolutely not okay. it's it's one of those academy movies where it's like there's nothing wrong with the movie but you're just like how is this the movie we've chosen to remember for for the rest of time was the best movie of this year uh, we're gonna i'm gonna read through these real fast okay. you tell me which one would have won for you King's Speech, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are All Right, 127 Hours, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone. Um, wow, I'm actually surprised Inception was nominated. Um, I, I well, of all, of all those movies, Inception's probably my favorite. Um, as somebody who doesn't even really like Christopher Nolan that much, like I love Inception. Um, other than that, None of those jazz me too much. I would probably say Black Swan would be number two. Yeah, I think I 
I'd probably go Black Swan's Social Network Inception. Oh, yeah. Social Network, I don't love it as much as I used to, but back then I thought it was, like, you know, the absolute shit. Yeah, I also, like, I get frustrated with it. I get frustrated by biopics that take, like, huge liberties with the story. And like, Wow, that's Aaron Sorkin's specialty. Yeah, it frustrates me a lot. And there's, like, people are split on that in terms of, like, you get the crowd that's like, it's a movie, deal with it. And then you get the crowd that are like, yeah, there's like, yeah. do you have to do that? If you're going to tell the story, why don't you just tell the story? I'm pretty split on it. Like, I I understand both the arguments and could go either way. But what drives me more nuts than anything is just Aaron Sorkin's writing. Like, it just drives <laughs> me nuts. <laughs> I know. Having now watched all of West Wing. Oof, um, no, thanks. Going into a Sorkin movie, I'm just like, this is very I- Sorkin. Yeah, I just, I can't handle it. <laughs> um, okay, so you liked Black Swan showing to be, I was doing mm. the same, like, I mean, I think this was probably, I want to say I'm like plus or minus like two on like, this was my 10th viewing. Mm. So it could have been like, I've watched this movie eight times. It could be I've watched this movie a dozen times. Yeah, I I, I said four, this is my fourth time watching it, but I really don't know. I could have seen it more than that for all I know. It's one that I would put on when I was working. Like I mm. have like 50 DVDs that I would just kind of put a DVD in <laughs> back in the day as I was like going about my day and let it play. And this is one that was like in that rotation. Yeah. So a few of them weren't like close watching, but it's just one where like <laughs> it feels very familiar to me every time I watch it, but it's still like every time I watch it, I feel like there's a new moment that, I kind of appreciate yeah. uh, seeing again or totally. s- like, kind of discover it anew. Uh, I, it, we must have been, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are this way about movies, but I was like you, like there were a few movies that I just watched a lot because I own them because I'm, I'm pretty sure I had Black Swan and DVD. It's, at one point I got rid of most of my DVDs. Um, but if I was watching a movie this much, it meant I owned it. And actually, I know Walk the Line came out a little earlier than Black Swan, but my wife and I just watched Walk the Line. And as I'm watching it, I was just like, I know every single second of this movie. Like, <laughs> I must have watched this movie so. And I could not. And when I think about it, I'm like, I probably can't even count on my hand like how many times I must have watched this movie because I know it so well. And Black Swan's the same. Like, as I'm watching it, I haven't seen it in ten years, but like, I know absolutely every single beat. Like, nothing surprising to me. It's. I mean, I agree with you that there are like little touches you can find here and there, but like I just knew the story completely. Is it your favorite Aronofsky film? Where's it rank for you? Let's take a look at this guy's. What's this guy got going on? I mean, I know I named a bunch of his movies earlier. I, I love Mother. Mother is probably my favorite, just like it's off the, the top of my head. Only one I haven't seen. I really love Mother. Um, I don't think he has a bad movie. Uh, I haven't seen The Whale, I guess, so I don't know if I can fully say that. Um, I think Requiem for a Dream is great. I think The Wrestler is great. Mother's probably my favorite, but like after that, they're all kind of in a in a tie. Of like these are just all great, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I need to rewatch. Like I feel like I'm a bigger fan of Noah than a lot of people. Oh yeah, it's great. Um, I need to rewatch it to know how I'd rank it. I think. I go like Black Swan, Wrestler, Noah as my top three Aronofsky, but I need to like Noah could go higher. Yeah. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And the whale, like I just, I'm finishing up the movie guide for the whale currently, and the whale's good. In some ways, it feels more like it should be like an early Aronofsky movie than a later Aronofsky movie. There's something kind of like smaller about it or a little more art housey independent feel to it. Mm-hmm. It just it feels a bit more narrow or scaled down than something like the wrestler Noah mother. I mean, I haven't seen mother, but I'm just imagining that it's kind of <laughs> it's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. With some of the others, like the whale, you only have the one look like interior location, the entire movie. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's strange. It's still good, but strange. Interestingly, like I feel like you can describe all of his movies that way the settings are small like you're kind of contained to one space and like very intimate with the character but the places the movie goes like they it feels ambitious like all the different like themes it's covering all the different little nuances of the character um he has just a very interesting approach to his characters that i guess i guess like i said it's it's very intimate the way he he navigates them now imagine that scaled down and that's the whale so it's like that minimalism even like more minimal it's interesting Uh, yeah um okay so black swan anything more like in our preamble no i think going to this i here's the last thing i'll say i guess is that fond memories of black swan i like darren aronofsky a lot but going into this i couldn't help but feel that like, because I kind of think this when I look back at a lot of the movies from this time period, like I just talked about Walk the Line, a movie I have fond memories of and I still like. But as I'm watching Walk the Line last week, I'm kind of like, this is a pretty like straightforward, like normal movie. Like it was the most traditional biopic a biopic could be. It's James Mangold doing like his Hollywood, like just master director thing like it's perfectly edited in a way that's like kind of boring you know <laughs> like mm. it just feels like a movie how a movie's supposed to feel like whenever i look back at movies in this time period like that i always kind of wonder am i going is it going to hit the same way like back then i knew nothing about movies and hadn't seen that many movies so movies like this would blow me away now that i've seen a lot of movies um am i gonna watch black swan and like be blown away by it so that that tension was kind of there as i watched it I uh, I had a similar thing with just, you know, when I've seen the movie so many times and I just, you know, updated our movie guides on it a couple months ago. So it's not like it's been years since I've seen mm-hmm. it. It's, I think I've watched it in 2022 or 2023. <laughs> I was like, um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was still a, a feeling of like, because I need to watch it, is it going to be as enjoyable? And uh, for me, at least, like, I just get so swept up in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about the music, some of the scene structure, uh, especially the end, like the performance and the build to her finally having the the wings and that key yeah. shots, right? The Like the the premiere like S tier shot that this movie has of her going full swan. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just gets me every time. Yeah. I, um, 
So here was my experience watching the movie. And, you know, I kind of went into it with that attitude of like, is it going to hit the same? And which probably wasn't the best attitude for me. I think Chris can attest to this. I'm a little bit of a contrarian by nature. Like there's a part of me that wants to like not like Black Swan because everyone likes it. I do like it and I enjoyed watching it a lot. Um, but that that little aspect was there for me. And I will say from the beginning, and part of this is aided by the fact that I know this movie completely and are not like surprised in quotes by anything, um, that for the most part, Black Swan feels like a very straightforward movie, um, which was like that that itch I, I was kind of having that itch for the first maybe hour of watching this movie because um as chris knows since he wrote the explanation for it on our site it's been one of our most popular articles for years people search this movie all the time it has remained relevant for a lot of people and so in that respect i was kind of like what is it about this movie that people are searching? <laughs> like what is so confusing about this movie to me? It's kind of straightforward in the sense that a lot of movies using the hero's journey are straightforward, like star Wars, Harry Potter, like this idea of like your light and dark side and it, and having that internal battle. Like that's such a common storyline that I saw it playing out in black Swan. Exactly. That um, it, it, it wasn't like, as I'm watching, I'm just like, is there going to be more? Like, I'm going to get something from it. And I think because I had that attitude, I wasn't allowing myself to get swept up in the movie. Um, but at some point, I think I, I just kind of like, I shed that, that light I was putting on it and trying to like put the movie in a box and just allowed it to be what it was. And when you, when you kind of ignore that, what the movie is inherently doing is very simple. It's kind of a, a masterful movie. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe not like personally, like maybe not like my favorite kind of movie, but like objectively when I'm watching it, just the way shots are framed, the way the movie's lit, the kind of performances you're getting, like everything is so exact in a way that you're like, oh, a master made this. Like somebody who had a pure vision of something like made it come to life. Um, so as I kind of settled to that and realized what the movie was doing, you know, it was an absolute delight to watch. It really does feel like Aronofsky, you know, he had four films under his belt at that point. The Wrestler, I feel like, was a tipping point for him. Mm. Like, Pie and Requiem had more of that, like, auteur energy to it. The Fountain was him trying to go a little more, like, big budget. Yeah. And then The Wrestler just kind of synthesized a lot of what he was doing. It felt like he found a voice in a way. Um, and then Black Swan really, I think, combined all of that into this very, I mean, maybe even form and function in that sense that ballet itself is so precise uh, and demands so much. There's almost this idea that in making a ballet movie, he was uh, carrying some of that energy into his own filmmaking. But yeah, every time I watch it, there's just something just the use of body horror in it. Mm -hmm. I kind of forget how much of that is present in the movie <laughs> as I until like I'm watching it again and I'm just like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just the way it uses 
uh, mere elements or that externalization of Nina's identity, even with scenes like her and her mom, when they both have their hair down and you can see how similar they look at times. And that dynamic between them, the way that the mom's kind of putting pressure down on Nina, even gets jealous of Nina, that there's a similar dynamic between the mom and Nina versus Nina and Beth and just the interesting relationship dynamics, the paintings. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, as I, as I was said, I was kind of sitting there judging the movie, not really judging the movie, but like wondering, like, when is something more going to happen? And upon reflection, realizing that there wasn't like more happening, like that there wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you understand. It's not like we hear some exposition that makes Nina's mental state make sense. You know, it's not like we hear something about her from her past. That's like, Oh, like this is why she acts this way. Like you're kind of just thrust into the movie and you watch her, just fall apart in front of you and like you're you're with it upon reflection i realized like that's exactly what i want movies to be doing that is completely what post cinema is um and chris has heard me talk his ear off about post cinema and the this new wave of movies that is very much in done in that style where you don't need a bunch of exposition about somebody you don't need like the narrative mechanics laid out for you you don't need to be guided through a movie. You're just kind of experiencing it. You're in it. You're in the shit with them. You're watching things unfold as they unfold. You're understanding things as they understand things. And you're constantly lost in the chaos with the person. Uh, that's exactly what this movie's doing. It, it's kind of beautiful how it, how it navigates this space mental illness how it just the unfolding of the mind like these things that are very um inherent to the human condition things like we can all recognize and understand um on a much less exaggerated level like obviously this is exaggerated to the point where like she thinks she's becoming a black swan like she kind of loses her sense of self her innocence is completely wiped away those are all just like ticks and rhythms we can recognize in ourselves, but to see it blown up to this level and to be on that journey with her so intimately, um, it, it's such a great use of post-cinema and like what has become this leading movement and how to navigate cinematic narratives. I, I just, it was so pleasurable <laughs> to watch like an early example of it working so well here. Yeah, it's... Uh that show versus tell dynamic as well mm -hmm. where you just get like that idea of discovery with the movie and the show versus tell movies i think and as you're saying like post cinema movies um it's something where they tend to create a lot of conversation because you don't have that moment of exposition so i can imagine mm -hmm. the first hour of black swan it is a lot more grounded yeah. in that way and it's I mean, you get some of the duality, like the woman that walks by Nina when she's walking at night and it's like, is that Nina's face? Like some of those things start to increase, but really that last like <laughs> 40 minutes yeah. um, really takes off in terms of what's real, what's not real, what's real, what's not real. Yeah, it's... Um... I just love it because it, I was, you know, I was, again 
a little curious, even after all that, I was still curious at the end of the movie, like, what are people so confused about? Like, it, it seems straightforward to me. And as I'm looking, I found this Reddit thread of somebody who thought that the whole movie was a depiction of Nina dealing with trauma after being molested by her mother, which was like a crazy intense reading. <laughs> but they had all these examples of like why it was. And they're reading into all of these little elements that the movie gives you that, you know, every each one of the examples, you're like, okay, I guess that could be true. But because the movie's so light on exposition and details, it kind of makes you realize that you could read into anything like that. And it kind of reveals the beauty of both Pulse Cinema and what this movie is doing is that because nothing's exact, because nothing um, is so detailed that it, because you're just solely meant to experience it and kind of be with the character that you have the freedom to apply like whatever you're bringing into the movie, I guess, you know, like whatever, whatever energy, whatever emotions, whatever trauma history you're bringing into the experience, like your worldview, this kind of movie allows those elements to blow up and really hit, um, which is another reason I love this approach to movies is that it it just makes it feel more intimate and personal, you know? Yeah, I that's something that's always a interesting discussion is especially in terms of what we do on yeah. Film Colossus is that we tend to attempt to give more objective readings and I'm saying objective with like some degree of quotes totally because people always you know, have their interpretations of things. And even the kind of analysis that we bring, is it going to be like 100% complete or not have room for debate? But it's something to where like, it feels like a general concept in Black Swan is like, that's not the focus of the movie. Like from the approach that I would have is like the critical what do we see as like a primary concern of this movie due to some of the, the emphasis or emphasis things that are emphasized. Mm -hmm. um, it seems much more about like career pressure, the search for perfection and just this idea of uh, duality and being in touch with yourself and repression. Uh, and they talked about how this is a companion piece to the wrestler. Totally. And They're like the, the same movie. <laughs> yeah. Like very much so. And the whale in some ways also feels like similar to mm -hmm. these, um, different as it's not necessarily profession driven in the way those movies are, but, um, similar in terms of like being overwhelmed by something, um, yeah. and what it drives you to do. But that is one of the beautiful aspects of art and movies is that you have the ability to take these readings and view it through these different frames and lenses. And those aspects of the movie, as you're saying, are there to the point where if somebody wants to look at Black Swan through that lens and construct uh, a point of view around it, you really can do that it's one of my favorite things to kind of encounter on our website when people leave comments um is just like reading movies through a lens that we didn't yeah. take with it or had it even 
like thought to take with it. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of what we do. The, the fact that we have these movie guides that I agree with you that no movie can have an objective reading, but one thing we can do and what I think our movie guides allow uh, people allow people to see in movies is that there are inherent themes and motifs and ways of thinking about the title of the movie. There is these things that are just a little more concrete that give the movie some texture or give the movie a foundation, I guess, and then allows somebody to add texture that you can look at the movie and it's theme of perfection. Of course, perfection is the theme of this movie. We can discuss that all we want on our site. But then how does somebody see that theme of perfection? How do how does that relate to their own lives? Like that's the beauty that comes with film discussion and film analysis. Um, and the best part of Aronofsky is I think his movies just provide a safer space for those discussions. Like sometimes, again, I, I mean, I've talked about this before. Some people are just like too exact. <laughs> they're too like, they're telling me exactly what the movie is and there doesn't feel like there's as much room to talk about it. But Black Swan, again, you're not getting a lot of exposition. You don't know a lot about Nina. You don't know about the mother. You don't know where the father was. Like there are all these what ifs and but ifs kind of going on throughout that allow the story to gain that that power that allows it to mean more personally to people. Again, I think that's a big reason why Aronofsky hits home with so many people. Uh, I will say that the biggest change in the dynamic that I've had with this movie has been watching Perfect Blue oh, yeah. um, and then realizing how much Aronofsky used from Perfect Blue for Black Swan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just in some ways, it's it's one of those things where I feel like is a little bit of loss of innocence um, when it comes to like... Yeah, somebody like intaking movies and art and I feel like when I was younger there's all this like idea of like how did this person come up with this idea oh my god like the idea of like the potential and this huge like inspiration and creativity and then as you learn more about art and specifically like the process of creating arts and the influences that people have you start to realize how everything is just something else yeah and that can be really original it can still be like a very impressive take on something or synthesis of multiple stories it's not saying like originality is dead or non-existence but it's just you see i went from viewing like black swan as oh my god darren aronofsky how did he how could he ever to just being like oh he watched perfect blue and then just put yeah. it in the ballet. He rocked, <laughs> like, yeah. Totally. Yeah. He, that, he also, as it's, he copies, sorry, go ahead. You're, you're talking. Oh, no, go, go, go. I was just going to mention that he copies the the bathtub scene to Requiem for a Dream as well. Yeah, that's kind of like the narrative with this movie is that it was said that in Requiem for a Dream, uh, Aronofsky had to buy like the North American rights <laughs> to perfect blue to recreate the scene with Jennifer Connelly, like screaming in the bathtub, which is Mm -hmm. like shot for shot out of perfect blue, which for people that don't know, perfect blue, uh, anime movie from 1997, I believe it was in Japan. And it tells a story of, (laughs) uh, 
Mina. It's Mina, right? <laughs> I Mima. don't remember. Mimi, I think. Not definitely not Mimi. It's not Mimi. <laughs> it is absolutely not Mimi. We got Mima. Mima, Mima. Okay, I knew yeah. it, it, we were close. Yeah, <laughs> it's a combination of Mimi and Nina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just Mima. <laughs> um, Her name should so, have been Mimi. I'm gonna throw it out there right now. Just buy the rights to it. Change your name. <laughs> Uh, so Perfect Blue, it's based on a novel uh, called Metamorphosis, I believe it was. Yeah. And it's heard of it. a Japanese pop star who decides to leave the group that she's part of and pursue a career as an actor. And in the midst of this, she goes through this whole identity crisis. The story that she's cast in, she plays a character that's having... Uh, delusions and may or may not be a killer and that starts to play out in her own day-to-day life as she can't tell the difference between reality and her own imagination anymore and there's this double of her that keeps appearing at first on trains in the windows Mm -hmm. Uh, and then just as she's walking around she keeps seeing the reflection there's confrontation between them it's a when you watch Perfect Blue, you see a lot of how it influenced Black Swan. Even the name of the character, right? Mima and Nina. Yeah. Like, it's it's very... <laughs> but apparently, like, Darren Aronofsky didn't buy the North American rights. Like, there's some debate about that. He says that uh, he liked Perfect Blue, but it wasn't an influence for Black Swan. But then... Like, he praised Perfect Blue a ton after Requiem for a Dream came out. Um, and apparently, the creator of Perfect Blue, uh, Satoshi Kon, uh, was kind of upset at first yeah. that he didn't get a little bit more uh, credit or recognition or maybe even, like, payment <laughs> mm-hmm. for the use of his work in Requiem for a Dream when it was, like, that direct. Um, I don't know how he would have felt about Black Swan. He passed away in august of 2010 yeah so i think he had known that it had similar because i think it had premiered already at like Cannes or something or no venice was its initial release so he passed away just like a week before the movie came out um but there was something that took like a little bit of the like a little bit of the shine off of Black Swan. When I think about it, when I watch the movie, I'm still like very impressed and like caught up in the performances and the details, the shots. And of course that build to Nina's like grand moment of perfection. Um, And I think that theme of perfection and Nina wanting to be perfect Mm. and how this movie explores perfection and craving perfection and the way in which that can be destructive is incredibly powerful and incredibly relevant and maybe even more so in this modern age when you have so many people that are on their independent grind uh, as you know independent artists independent creatives uh, social media like influencers there's always something you can be doing and there's even more of a demand to present yourself even in your day-to-day if you're trying to get recognition on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube to present your life in a certain way and to present yourself in a certain way, which I think is a core pressure that 
Nina has in this movie of how do I present myself as someone that may not be who I am at home and what is the pressure of presenting myself and being perfect all the time for this audience of people and the demands of that and the psychological like pressure of that it just still feels incredibly relevant um to this day yeah i i pretty much have been thinking that has been the number one thing i've thought about in regards to this movie because i think you and i can both relate to that as writers as people like trying to get our voices heard about the way we speak about movies and our philosophy on movies you you have to be loud (laughs) you have to get out there you have to like throw yourself out on social media you and you have to grind like there that that perception of perfection and what it means and pushing yourself to the edge and and writing more and doing more and talking more and presenting better ideas like that that kind of pressure is I, I completely agree that I've thought about that a lot um, and mostly what I've thought about in that regard is how much I've gotten away from that <laughs> um, which again like that's the beauty of a movie like this is you're able to apply that lens to it like how your own relationship with perfection like me for me personally it was regressing from that and realizing like that's not what i wanted and what it was doing to me to act like that um and finding more balance in your life and that's ultimately why i really like this movie and consider it a very optimistic movie despite its dire ending is it's a call to finding that kind of balance and not pushing yourself to the edge and what it actually means to be perfect in quotes uh it because technically that performance she had wasn't perfect like she fell at one point and there was and because she fell though like the performance ended up having this tension and this build and ultimately a catharsis it wouldn't have had if she fell like there are this kind of little beauties that come from this push for perfection um, in these moments where you you are imperfect and realizing that you don't need to be that way to like find the true beauty of your arch of who you are. Um, so that was the lens I was kind of putting on it the whole time. Oh, very much. Like I think about, you know, even us with our content creation, the podcast, mm-hmm. um, trying to do YouTube videos. You, <laughs> I was a mentor at South by Southwest the last two years. And the first year that I did it, I had a lot of, like I think four of the five mentees I talked to were students at Ohio University, yeah. uh, which is very kind of them to you know fill my slot so I don't feel like nobody wants to talk to me. Right. But there were a lot of people that were like young musicians, young f- filmmakers, they're in that program they were wondering like how how do you get over that hump of feeling like something's good enough to be put out into the world and i think that's the thing Mm. that i hear the most i've talked with people that were like oh you have a youtube channel i want to start a youtube channel but i really want to like research everything and get like the best camera and find out like the best editing tools and you know edit a couple videos but i tried editing one and it took me a month to get it exactly perfect. And you do hear stories of people that spend that much time 
trying to be perfect and it can work for them. But I think more often the result is that you get paralysis. Mm -hmm. And the more that you're able to say, like, I think this hits a certain level of quality and people will be forgiving <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of power in that to know that the imperfections, as you're saying, can be endearing. They can add something to it uh, that makes it a lot more engaging or unique or, I mean, even the the best things in the world. That was another like loss of innocence for me. <laughs> I used to think that mm. uh, like businesses and companies that were like at the very top did everything perfect every single time. <laughs> and you eventually realize like, no, they make bad stuff. They do stupid stuff. They like release things early, <laughs> like triple a video games that come out now are full of bugs like yeah movies have like bad marketing sometimes like nothing's perfect no one's perfect and you can spend all this time trying to be as perfect as possible and just end up hurting yourself yeah um one other thing i'll say about this i guess about aronofsky in general because now he has four actors who have won Academy Awards, right? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. It's it, I, just, again, it, this is all relevant to the way we've spoken about him and the kind of the space he creates for his characters. A, he's very intimate. B, he doesn't give you too much information, so it kind of allows the actor the freedom to explore within the movie, like what their ticks and rhythms are and what's driving them. There's just a certain it gives a certain aura to his characters that allows them to flourish. And it, obviously it's worked for the actors because say what you want about Aaron Aronofsky. Like maybe you don't like his movies, like the people in his movies, like they have their moments in his movies, like Mickey Rourke and Natalie Portman and Brendan Fraser. It, it's crazy to think of the places those people all went to in his movies. Um, and again, it's just that focus, that intimacy. It's, it's such a unique quality he has. Yeah, he uh so it's those three all won like best actor best in actor. their category awards and then um Ellen Burstyn should have won for right. Oh, Leo, did for she Germany. not win? I was thinking she won. She did not win. Mickey Rourke did not oh. win either. Huh. Mickey Rourke didn't win? No. Really? He was just nominated. Same oh. with Marissa Tomei. Who won that year? <laughs> Uh, 2010 best actor in a leading role. Let's see. It was God damn it. Colin Firth, King's Speech. Oh, <laughs> wait. Oh, I thought King's Speech came out in 2010. Because yeah, the wrestler wait. came out in 2008. Yeah, wait. I clicked on the wrong year, didn't I? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, I just went to the wrong year. 2008, it was, uh, oh, mm, yeah, uh, Sean Penn is Harvey Milk. That's right. God, I don't know why in the regresses of my mind, Mickey Rourke won. <laughs> I guess everyone just was talking about him so much that year. Recesses. I think that's twice Regress. you said regre regresses of your mind. <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. Whoops. Well, you know. Um, that was kind of a stacked year. Like, Sean Penn is Harvey Milk. Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, Brad Pitt and Benjamin Button, Frank Langella as Richard Nixon in Frost Nixon, 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 and then uh, I didn't see The Visitor, but Richard Jenkins. Got oh, yeah. I remember that. 
Damn. So he's only had two winners. In my mind, God, I thought he had four. I was twice as twice too many. Yeah, you you were ready to give him all the accolades. Well, still, I mean, they keep getting nominated. I guess we can give him that. Yeah, that that's certainly that's <laughs> certainly something. Um, hmm. Well, then, I guess the anything else on the the movie itself or um no i just think it's it's really well done again just from an objective standpoint like if you were to sit down and like i have this book that um is all the different i forget the name of it it's kind of it's a book i think a lot of people have that it details all the different kinds of shots that can be in a movie you know like a long shot a medium close-up blah 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 um and the term it used the book uses throughout is the visual is it visual poetry i can't remember what the name of it is but like basically just the the sequence of images and how you can like look at all the frames of a movie and see what they add up to like what story they're telling just visually without having to like hear anything this movie's it belongs in that camp like it it's just kind of perfect in that way that every little decision made it feels so planned out and realized in a way that it's hard not to love this movie. Yeah, it really is. And speaking of love, uh, Natalie Portman met her husband during this movie. Oh yeah, who who is he? Uh, Benjamin Millipede. He's the guy that's the prince who's dancing with her. I guess oh, the guy right. that drops her. Yeah, I I was that was gonna be my guess if of the person she married in this movie. Yeah, it's uh, I remember this movie coming out and me being like, ha, ah, Natalie Portman. And then I looked and I was like, she married him. I was like, ah, <laughs> yeah, I missed out. I missed out. Everybody but in this it's... movie is great. Like, yeah, Mila Kunis. I, I mean, I don't I'm not trying to shit on Mila Kunis. I, I loved her in that 70s show, but I, I kind of had this perception of her. She hasn't been good since that 70s show or maybe she just hasn't had the right role since then but she's really fucking good in this. Like she has such personality. Like Vincent Cassell's always awesome. Winona Ryder's always awesome. They're just all doing good work. I think this was the first movie I remember ever seeing like Vincent Cassell in. Oh yeah. Um, so it was kind of, I was just like, this guy has got like a <laughs> lot of screen presence, <laughs> which uh, makes sense. No, I watched Eastern Promises. I saw that yeah. in theaters. So I guess I would have... But this was the first time I was just like, I need to know who he is. He he was a face. Like, as I was watching it um, the, two nights ago, I I saw him and, like, I know this guy's face. Like, I know his name's Vincent Cassell, but I'm like, I feel like I can't remember what movies I've seen him in. I was like, have I seen him? Like, I just couldn't think of it. And I was like, well, there must be, like, one movie I've seen him in. And then I went to Letterboxd and looked at his top it shows you like the top eight movies they're in and i had seen every single one <laughs> i was like oh shit like he's in la Haine, like he's in oceans 13 he's just i guess i mean i'm saying i don't remember in those movies which is a disservice to him maybe it makes it sound like i'm shitting on him but i feel like he's always really good like i i suddenly did remember like oh of course he's in la Haine. like of course he's in eastern promises and and yeah he always has such presence I think there was just something different about the the Black Swan role where he got to kind of feel forefront in yeah. a way that maybe some of the other movies it wasn't necessarily him. Yeah, it, 
that's actually that's the one last thing I will say about this movie that I really did appreciate is <clears throat> it's a serious movie. Like it's about very serious topics and very serious things happen. But I couldn't help and I don't know if filmmakers like Darren Aronofsky would hear this and like <laughs> be offended. But the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like, this movie's kind of funny. Like <laughs> it's kind of like ridiculous ridiculous like Vincent Cassell's character and like how flamboyant he is and like just how innocent and shy Natalie Portman is like everything feels so extreme in a way it, it all the way down to like the pictures that their mom was painting or moving yeah. you know like all yeah. that stuff is like is this supposed to be funny like and and if it is or if it isn't I don't know but like I found it funny and that increased my enjoyment of it there I get what you mean like the relationship I have with this movie and part of the enjoyment, like the first few times I watched it, there was such like heaviness to everything. Yeah. Like, oh, will she get like the role or not? And once I had watched the movie enough times to kind of like have less investment in the initial superficial aspects of it, there is something just like a little funny about like Nina going up to the girl and being like, congratulations. <laughs> and the girl's just like, you bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like walks away. And just some of those dynamics and interactions or just, I remember how like aghast I was at the masturbation scene. Like the, oh, yeah. the, the first attempt where she like rolls over and sees her mom. That shit's crazy. just like, ah, like that. I'm a very vicarious uh-huh. feel the emotions that the people on screen are feeling so that just like i found that moment so funny and now i find it funny like <laughs> now it's funny like but initially the first few times i was just like oh sure. my god oh i know my you god. It, and now it's just like that's so funny <laughs> yeah it's good stuff uh or like when she goes up to natalie portman she's like yeah, about last night or it goes up to mila <laughs> kunis and is like about last night and mila's just like what are you talking about? Yeah, she <laughs> just had a little dream about me. Yeah, and it's like, oh, it is kind of like a funny movie, even kind of the end at this point. Yeah. And Nina's like, I'm perfect. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. I, I'm telling you, like, that's just, I can't help but have that perception of it, which is funny because I don't think I would, I don't think I would feel that way about other Aronofsky movies. Like, I'm not going to laugh at Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> There's nothing no. funny about The Wrestler, you know? Yeah, but there's something just like a little and it's not in like a bad way of nope. like, oh, this is so bad. It, it's just I, something in the the seriousness of it brings it back around to being a little like humorous. totally I I just I it makes me appreciate it more like it it increases my engagement with it that it that kind of has like a a poppiness to it, you know, like it's just so ridiculous in a way that feels confident like it's one thing to be ridiculous and like you know it's like the room and like the person just has like no idea what they're doing it's another yeah. where like this this feels so exact and over top at the same time that i feel like i'm in on the joke it's okay it's not as it's not american psycho right right where it's just like so <laughs> like that's like I thought satire. about that you can have them. Yeah, there's just so many, like, amazing. But there were people that, like, took American Psycho very seriously and right. didn't realize it was satire, that it was uh, supposed to be funny. Same thing with Starship Troopers, right? Um, <laughs> At that point, that people weren't, just didn't understand that Paul Verhoeven was having fun is ridiculous. Yeah. 
but I don't think there was that intentional like streak of satire in there, but it wouldn't surprise me if Aronofsky was like kind of aware of totally they're just being like a little bit of is it this kind of ridiculous i completely agree i it, it and the fact that i i recognize that i think that's there like again makes me like the movie more that it's not so self-serious that it has a kind of playfulness about itself and that playfulness doesn't necessarily take away from what the movie's exploring like it still hits very hard yeah and i think that form and function like duality is such a huge part of the movie to have this drama also have this element of comedy yeah to it whether intentional or not is just so fitting um one last thing i'll say about this movie is i did not remember that sebastian stan the winter soldier was in it yeah he's uh one of the club dudes right yeah that was that was a complete surprise just like is that Sebastian? What's, what's, <laughs> he's like, what's... he looks so much younger, yet exactly the same. <laughs> Just like, what's Stanny boy doing here? <laughs> I like to think he wasn't even, like, he wasn't even cast. He just kind of heard the music and walked in. Yeah. And, and they were just like, like wow, what a I'm good looking gentleman. Scene. Yeah. He'll be a superhero like, someday. <laughs> you just dance with her. He's like, yeah, I was already doing that. <laughs> uh, I like to think that this movie is the origin story of his fresh character. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would have been a connection just in the middle of fresh. He's just like one time I dance with the ballerina at a club. <laughs> I tried to get her back to my place, but she was crazy. Yeah. Alas, did it go well, but gave me a, a craving as a cannibal. <laughs> yes. Well, he doesn't eat people. Does he? Oh wait, he does. It's part of his whole like. Club. Well, I know, I know. I I just remembered him sending meat to people, but I first was blanking on him actually eating people. But he does. Yeah, it's a very like dystopian blue apron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and then this movie still like seems beloved, and oh, Aronofsky yeah. like is still relevant. It feels like you know mother was maybe i mean noah and mother back to back didn't receive all that great of acclaim um though yeah. noah did do really well at the box office oh that was the other thing about box one i didn't realize a budget of 13 million and they made 330 million <laughs> even archer is just like that's crazy so I'm trying not to try not to say anything so it doesn't. <laughs> but I just think that's nuts. Like the fact that this movie had a I guess thinking about it, it makes sense that it had a thirteen million dollar budget, but it does make me respect the movie more that it didn't need all the fluff, you know. Like the CGI was minimal, yet it was like it felt extremely. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like the CGI with the wings and some of the oh when her legs break backwards. Yeah, shit's nuts. Uh, the Wrestler, $6 million budget, $44 million box office. Yeah, that makes sense then, for that movie. And then you double it and get like 10 times <laughs> or more than 10 times the money. That's 30 times the money almost. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, but Noah's still like the budget for Noah's wild, like 100 
twenty-five to one hundred sixty million. That's crazy. Uh, that must have been the moment. Like that was Darren Aronofsky's moment, like where he was given that kind of budget because of like his success of Black Swan, and it just didn't pan out, and he probably just hasn't gotten that kind of budget since. I know. Oh, it, it's, I mean, the box office for Noah was still like three hundred sixty million. Yeah, it's a worldwide kind of movie. But yeah, that's one of those things where like you got to imagine the marketing, like yeah. the actual take back, and then Mother thirty million forty four box office. Man, but the whale kind of put him back three million dollar budget. That makes so wow. much sense. Wow! So he had half the budget that he had for the wrestler. That's crazy. A three million. No movies are made for three million dollars anymore. No, he was just, wow. Independent movies aren't made for that much. And he's like, give me three million dollars, and I will give you an Oscar. <laughs> Brendan Fraser does come cheap, so I get it. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> he was out of work. And there was just like five actors in this movie. Yeah. Six, if you count the pizza delivery guy that shows up for ten seconds. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> Um, that's funny. That okay. Some things are making more sense to me now, <laughs> <laughs> dude. You got to watch Mother. Yeah, I, I should, I should watch it's that. So good. Up. I'm trying to get through all the Scream movies so I can see Scream Six. Oh, you've never seen all the Scream movies. Just one in the last half of five. Uh, I enjoy them all, besides the remake or not a remake. It's not a remake. It's a reboot, I guess. Yeah, that was five. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I did not like what I saw there, but rewatching, like, I just rewatched the first one the other night and I was like, still good. Oh, the first one's absolutely immaculate. I don't like. My only complaint, I have two complaints about it. (laughs) One, I don't think either of the characters would have the dialogue in the opening phone call. Uh Like, I can't picture either of them, like, having that conversation with Drew Barrymore. Um, and then second, like the end was a little bit of like a, a whimper to me of just like ending with Courtney Cox and then turning the camera off into the hills. I was like, ah, I like, I feel like we deserve a little bit more. Well, you're wrong and you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's simple enough. Puts it into context. I, I love Wes Craven, the death and scream. It's just like, to me, that's just perfection. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great movie, and all the other screams. So, so you've watched all the first four? No, just one in oh. the first half of five or oh, last I half see. of five. Okay, got it. So I have no idea what happens in two, three, four. Yeah, they're all the people that pop up in them are like Timothy Oliphant and Emma Roberts. It's just crazy the the people he has in those movies. I forgot about Emma Roberts being in the one. Yeah, okay. she's in Scream Four beautiful beautiful okay what what's our next what's our next movie did we just jump right in the perfect blue oh yeah why not (laughs) that would be that that'd be a great one-two punch because you know as we were sitting here talking about black swan i was thinking about perfect blue and while i love the simplicity of black swan and the post-cinema-ness of it there is something about perfect blue that it, it gives you more information and there's like more to chew on that while I typically don't like that, like I really like it about that movie. Like it navigates all that so well. So I think it'd be good to compare these two. Uh, another 
thing worth noting. Uh, should we say where this ranks in our all-time rankings? Yeah. Um, let me pull up my all-time rankings. Have you done it for you yet? No. I'm looking now and trying to figure out where I put it. I feel like we have not been doing... We haven't done this in a while. No. There was a feature you used to have in the show that I think we're both kind of like, we're done doing that. <laughs> yeah, but for the, like, the individual, at the end of the discussion, it seems right that we should probably sure. just say where we ranked it. Okay, so this, for people who don't know, we have a list on our website, filmclosses.com, where we're ranking every movie we've watched since 2022. Um, I've done it since the beginning of 2022. Chris started in like the middle. Um, so this is not, every, we're not ranking every movie we've ever seen, just the movies we've seen since starting that list. Yeah, otherwise so many movies like yeah, we'd have I, to add so many movies thousands i mean i actually i want to do it someday like I've, I've thought about that a few times like i would love to rank every movie i've ever watched um but for now it's it's too daunting yeah um all right my uh, list has 348 movies currently and i think i need to add more to that but based on the list i have in front of me i'm thinking it'd probably be around the hundred like fifteen ish section, I think. <laughs> that's funny. Which you know, that's the top third of movies. Like in my mind, like that's a good movie because that's up near like some of my absolute favorites. Yeah, my list is so much less built out than yours. <laughs> I have ninety four, and a majority of them are ones that I've like seen to write about. <laughs> yeah, movies that came so... out like last year. Yeah, so it's like almost primarily 2022 movies and like some 2023. So this is going to be like very high up and it's uh, a little jarring, I think, when it's going to be like as high as it is. I think I might have to adjust where Prisoners is on this list as well. Where is it right now? I have it at six currently. Where do Uh, I have Prisoners? That's under Avatar, Way of Water, and All Quiet on the Western Front, and okay. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which doesn't feel right. <laughs> I have Prisoners at 310. Yeah, you have it way low, but <laughs> for me, it should be a lot higher. I think I'd put Black Swan at, like, number three, two. I was going to say, I thought you'd put it at number one. No, I think I have American Psycho still yeah, higher for me. sure. Um, but Black Swan goes in at number two above Parasite. Um, like, I love what Parasite's doing, but identity movies are much more my jam. Yeah. So just in terms of, like, topic. Uh, and then that shot of Nina as the Black Swan is just... I don't think Parasite has the equivalent of that shot. Yeah. So, yeah, number two. I'm looking back at movies I rated in 20... Movies that came out in 2010. God, it's a lot of good movies. Um, But of all those, I feel like it'd probably be in the top 10. That makes sense. God, I watched a lot of movies from 2010. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like recently. You've watched a lot of movies from 2010. <laughs> well, pro- recently I probably did, but I'm just looking at like my all my ratings ever oh you're looking on letterboxd yeah i'm just looking at all of them okay okay and um, so many artsy fartsy movies that i just like this is my movie you know back then <laughs> i'm trying to think if like 
Black Swan would be, it might be in my top like 50. I don't know if it would be in my top 25. Yeah, it, it definitely holds a special place in just in terms of like my movie watching history. Like I, yeah. I will always enjoy this movie. Yeah, same, same, same. All right, Perfect Blue, we're doing it, right? Yeah, that's the next one. Um, I don't know when that episode will come out because I'm vacationing next week. Um, so it'll either come out next week or the week after. All right. We'll see. Surprise me. <laughs> okay. Well, until next time. See you, everyone. Bye. Got a big question to ask.